0: This episode is brought to you by Privacy. I've been using Privacy for a while now. It's a service that lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of having to use your real ones, protecting your identity and bank info while you're online. Right now, new customers will automatically get $5 bucks to spend on their first purchase if you go to privacy.com barcode to sign up. It's super easy to set up and configure. No better way to protect your financial information while shopping online You're fully in control of who charges you, when they charge you, and how much they charge you. It truly provides peace of mind for something we all do and all need to protect ourselves doing. So before you make that next online purchase, hit up privacy.com slash barcode and get yourself an account with five bucks to spend on your first purchase. Privacy.com slash barcode. Let's get it. with your host Chris Glandon serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser let's hit the bar and grab a drink hey booze Bot. what's up bro not much Chris another day in paradise where's Tony at oh he is down at the other end of the bar it's been busy. People keep stopping by on their way to Sin City. Oh I bet. Well, speaking of bet, I have a drink for you. It's called the High Roller. Place three fourths ounces of Grand Marnier, one and a half ounces of vodka, and four ounces of orange juice in a cocktail shaker filled with ice. Shake it, then strain into an old-fashioned glass filled with ice. Finally, Top it with a few drops of grenadine. Oh, wow. That's money. Okay, boozy. I see Tony just freed up. I'm going to catch you later, man. Later, homie. Okay, you guys. Y'all have a good night now. Oh, hey, Chris. Hey, Tony. What's going on? Oh, Tony? Tony called out. I'm deepfake Tony. You could call me phony. Hey, where did you get that drink at? Oh yeah, Boozbot hooked me up. I think you even got him fooled. This guy. Always trying to steal
1: my thunder. Oh Chris, hold on one second, let me grab this. Hello, thank you for calling Barcode. Chris?
0: Oh, Chris Glannon. Oh yeah, yeah, he's right here. Yeah, yeah, hold on one second. Hey Chris, it's for you, bud. For me? Hello? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, man. You know with this pandemic going on, I'm just not sure. Okay. Press pass? Well, you know it kicks off in like 72 hours. Okay. Okay. I'm on my way then. Tony, I got to run, man. I'm on my way to Black Hat.
1: All right, brother. Good luck with that. I'll see you next round.
0: Just finished up his talk at Black Hat 2021 uh, around deep fake social engineering. And uh Matt, it's an honor to have you on Barfield. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, very interesting talk. Let's uh I guess let's kick it off by talking about your background. You know how, how you got into cybersecurity. What got you interested into deep fake technology, and then how you ultimately ended here, speaking at Black Hat.
2: Okay, so I guess going way back, uh, my PhD is in psychology and focused on two areas: one being uh, cognitive neuroscience, and the other area being uh, human-computer interaction. So, uh, user interface design, uh, that kind of thing. I, I I actually ran an eye tracking lab for a few uh, years where I would show people imagery, uh, satellite imagery, and have them solve problems with that imagery, see where they're looking for information on those images, and then try to um, redesign the the interface so that they could extract information from the satellite imagery quicker and more effectively. So way far off a deep fakes, but, uh, so coming from that background, then I, um, became, um, an investigator for the federal government and I did that for about eight years. And in the process of that, they trained me on how to investigate cyber crimes. And so I took, um, you know, several, uh, you know, agency trainings, but also like SANS and some outside trainings as well. And that's really where I learned everything about cybersecurity. And then uh, in 2017, I left uh, the federal government and I went to the University of Central Florida, where I'm now a research professor of cybersecurity there. And uh, what I did was I reached back to... Um, my earlier background, my earlier days of psychology and sort of synthesize that into my cybercrime investigation to um, guide my research focus now, which is in, uh, I think, the most appropriate way to describe it would be remote online social engineering. So any sort of uh, technically mediated communication, any sort of social engineering that's happening through these technically uh, technologically mediated um, uh, communications. And um, actually, there's one other point I want to make about that is that uh, when I was being trained to investigate cyber cybercrimes, I, um, you know, I started learning all of the sort of ins and outs, you know, how to read blogs, how to, you know, map networks, uh, you know how to launch exploits and so on and so forth and um so i was really excited you know i i'm old enough that i remember like the first movie war games like the first i think they remade it but now it's oh yeah, yeah yeah and uh you know i that movie always made an impression on me as a kid so i was like oh this is so cool i'm gonna learn how to do this shit I'm sorry can i yeah, absolutely okay Probably. so anyways uh so i'm like yeah oh, this is so cool i'm gonna learn this stuff and uh And so then I get to the field and it's like the real world, right? And my first case is a, is a business email compromise case, which, uh, if. I don't know if your listeners know, but business email compromise is essentially when the social engineer impersonates an executive and then convinces the target to uh, transfer funds to an illegitimate account. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, this particular case, uh, it was great. It was a smaller kind of company, and uh, so one thing. Probably it was less than 100 employees, say probably around 80 employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CEO was just an asshole. I mean, just mm-hmm. start graving mad asshole. And um, the employees were all afraid of him. And so he goes on vacation. Well, then he emails from his personal Gmail account one of the employees, he says, hey, there's an emergency and we need you to wire X amount. Of it was actually about $4 million when you did transfer $4 million to this other account. It needs to be done you know, ASAP. I would be emailing you from my company account, but I'm on vacation and... You know basically do it so it looks legit it, it looked to, totally to the legit recipient it, yes mm-hmm. and as I mentioned there was this there was this culture of fear in the company mm-hmm. so no one wanted to question this guy mm-hmm. when they got the email on you know vacation and so um yeah it's like six weeks after he came back and he I should laugh about this this is horrible but the guy was really <laughs> unpleasant anyways <laughs> He finds out that there was this transfer of $4 million and and they start putting it all together and he just, you know, goes off the deep end. So then they called us in and we came in and we we did the investigation. Actually, I was the lead investigator and, um, by that time, the money was long gone. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it can be recovered if if it's caught within a certain amount of time, but this, I mean, the ship itself and, um, so for me, it made a real impression for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I was really let down because I thought I was going to be investigating all of these really like you know like Matthew Broderick. I was going to be investigating people trying to hack into the uh, the Whopper and, and launch nuclear missiles and stuff. And instead, I mean, a high school student could have done this scam. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, and so it was kind of it was a little bit disappointing, but. Um, but then it didn't live up to the hype. It didn't live up to the hype. Uh, but the other impression that that particular case left on me was how um, how the CEO facilitated it. By just being such an, unpre- uh, you know, an unpleasant yeah. person and setting up this culture of fear, like he yeah. he put the pieces in place to facilitate that crime to happen, wow. and, and so that and so that inspired not only some of the research I'm doing now, but also the consulting that I do on the side, which is is focused by and large on how do we create secure
1: cultures in organizations. That sounds like the perfect insider threat exploit. Yes, perfect. Yeah, flawless. Yeah. So I
0: guess that's sort of how, I guess, the evolution of deep fake started, right? Being, being able to impersonate someone if it's over text or voice, but now you're starting to see that evolve into different mediums where you're still
2: impersonating
0: someone right. with that level of trust.
2: So the social, okay, so the essence of social engineering has not really changed all that much. It's... Um, what synthetic media, so synthetic media being, um, you know, media that is either generated by or facilitated by an artificial intelligence, machine learning sort of, um,
1: artificial means. Mm-hmm.
2: The only thing that that synthetic media is doing is it's allowing um, additional capability to the social engineer. So, you know, the con artists of, you know, the 1910s and the 1920s um I mean, they were doing the same thing, right? They were, but they were doing it in person. They weren't doing it through this medium of communication, and they didn't have this advantage of being able to take on the appearance of somebody else or take on the voice of somebody else. But they had to do it as as themselves. And um, so, yeah. So, to to get back to your question that I keep avoiding. Uh, it, The way that this actually all started for me, so I've been doing research into social engineering for um, really about four years, but I mean, I've been putting all the pieces in place for well over 12 years, I think, from the actual in the field investigations and my my background in psychology. But the last four years at the uh, University of Central Florida, I've been really focusing on remote online social engineering, trying to understand the dynamics and and so on and so forth.
0: Is that when you really started seeing deep fakes emerge?
2: Uh, or was that yeah, before now, that? Let think. Yeah, it would have been a little bit before then, because I think I saw my first deep fig in 2016. Okay. So it would have been, yeah, it was a little bit before. But what started this research now is um, I had a PhD student come up to me, and it's classic. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> she, I hope she does. <laughs> <laughs> she like, you know, she comes. Okay, so it was literally like, look, I hear that you're like the professor I should talk to for about social engineering. I was like, yeah, I guess so. And, and then she's like, well, I want to do something with deep fakes. And I was like, okay, great. Tell me more. And she's like, yeah, that's it. I want to do something with deep fakes and social engineering. And I was like, okay, great. This is a completely blank slate. (laughs) Let's go. Let's do this. And so we, um, I, I mean, I knew a little bit, but I knew very little. And, uh, we just started delving into this and, 'Cause she's a grad student, I, I put her on the task of uh GitHub and looking at open source stuff because I just didn't want to, <laughs> to get
0: into that. So she was doing the research for you. Yeah, so she, she was did.
2: doing the dirty work okay. and, and uh yeah, and then I started looking more uh, well and because my background is is more criminally oriented, I started looking at some of the uh criminal indictments that have gone right, right on and some of the security reports and uh man I, I really became fascinated with this very quickly and sort of tangent tangential to that i was also and still am doing work in um gift card scams which is sort of like uh fishing, but using gift cards and um think you'd mentioned earlier catfishing. So catfishing is taking this online persona sort of on and using that to then um, manipulate somebody into giving something up uh, money or what have you. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I'm going to go on a little tangent again real quick, but um, so catfishing and gift card scams share, uh, something in common that I, I find really fascinating, which is that there is a prolonged interaction between the social engineer and the victim. Okay. And so, in like romance scams, are a very common um, instantiation of um, catfishing, mm-hmm. a form of catfishing. And oh, man, you start to. You develop a relationship with that person. Yeah. In fact, for future podcasts, you should totally find a victim of okay. a romance scam and just hear their story. Okay. So there was one case where this lady, she, um, I'm trying to remember the details, she uh, was a, a widow, a widower, and so she had the inheritance, she had the house, I mean, all this stuff. And met somebody online. They were perfect. They all fell in love. And over the course of the year, a uh, year and a half, I think, of the engagement,
1: gave up all of her life savings. Year and a half.
2: Yeah. All of the retirement.
1: Never met in person. Never met in person. Um, no, this is actually common.
2: Yeah.
1: It's, it's really common.
2: Um, the house, mm. gone. I think there was a rental house, gone. Retirement, gone. And after all of that, um, uh, still needed more help, right? Mm. So she takes out a loan
1: mm. and starts giving this person yeah. money from this loan. And so... Um, Thanks for reminding me to ask my grandmother if she's talking to anybody lately. Like oh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely horrible. And um, so,
2: okay, so to, to come back into social engineering a little bit, um, there's a book by Robert Cialdini called Influence. I think he originally wrote it in like 1982 or 1984. It's in like... it's Ninth or 11th printing or something most recent Mm. copy is 2013 it's a great anyone who's interested in any of this kind of stuff needs to read this book it's Mm. like 120 pages very so he outlines six principles for social influence and one of these is commitment consistency and this is what we're seeing in romance scams is once that person starts committing to giving some money then they're already sort of bought in. And to stay consistent with that commitment, mm-hmm. they continue. And the further they invest,
1: the more invested they become. So so this becomes their established belief that you were mentioning before, right? right. They believe that this is real. Well, it's
2: it's worse than that. Um, not only do they believe it's real, but they become advocates. So in this particular case, this lady actually met. At, at some point, the daughter intervenes. Mm-hmm exposes the scammer and I can't remember if they showed her a, a picture or if if they ended up meeting in life. I can't remember the details but somehow they find out the true identity the guy looks nothing like the pictures I mean totally like a different person
1: right mm. but the victim is still defending him well, yeah so what's the most effective way do you think to attempt to circumvent that established belief At that point, well, I mean,
2: by the time that they're that far invested, it's it's really really hard. I mean, because uh, so in the nineteen like seventies and early eighties, there was sort of um, a trend towards uh, like religious cults, and so people would become involved in these religious cults. The same sort of process that as they become invested, they are more invested. And um, parents would try to hire like psychologists to sort of de- uh, de-brainwash, I guess, their, their children. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, you think about the most profound and deep beliefs or values that you hold. That's what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, but the scary thing is, is that people who understand how to manipulate those aspects of psychology are very good at manipulating these things and so to bring it back to the gift card scams this is a it's similar to the romance scams but on a much smaller scale because there's that repeated interaction so during the talk i I gave the the example of dolores dolores is not a real name but uh but the situation was real and in that uh, particular case um I mentioned that it started out, and this is where the synthetic media came in, it started out with a bot. And the bot was, you know, are you busy? Can you do me a favor? I need you to buy gift cards for the holiday party that's coming up. Don't tell anyone this is a surprise. After that, like, fourth exchange, the, the tone and the tenor of the interaction changed drastically. And you could tell that the first part was scripted and that the next part was Someone who was professional and knew what they were doing. So does it start out as a
0: simple bot where it has a series of questions, right? And then depending on the answer or the response that Dolores gives, then that bot can trigger a response. Or at that point, does it maybe get handed over to a human and start that interaction then at that point?
2: So I don't know what it was on the back end. Okay. But again, I've looked at somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2,000 of these. And it seemed like right around the third or the fourth exchange, the tone would switch. Okay. Mm -hmm. And from that, I was inferring that they had some sort of a rule in place there that just said, you know, two or three back and forths and then give it to a live operator. Okay. Um, But that's just me speculating. Because at that point,
0: you may feel like. You know, you got her. She's hooked. right? At that point, you can go in for the kill because you don't want to wait too long.
1: Right. This is the entire concept of modern day copywriting. Okay. Impressioning Mm -hmm. from ads originally. This is is an entire science behind it. There's a whole industry of billions of dollars behind this. So it's basically just an exploit of that. Yeah. You know, I, I have individuals that I know that are paid handsomely just to write a 30 second pitch that they'll transfer into, you know, a YouTube ad or whatever it might be to get those clicks.
2: Well, so there's a, um, there's a hypothesis out there that the really bad phishing emails, the ones that are like misspelling, and weird grammar, and all that stuff, that they're done almost deliberately or they were happened upon deliberately because the people who respond to those, it acts like a pre-filter. And you know that if they respond, they're predisposed to going down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And I think there might be a similar sort of thing going on with the bots, in that somebody who is willing to engage three or four times has already sort of pre-filtered themselves, mm-hmm. and so then it's it's worth the operator's time. And this gets back to one of the points I made during the talk, was that um, there are several advantages that synthetic media offer the social engineer, but one of them is scalability. Mm-hmm. I mean, to sit out and, and sit down and type out. 5,000 emails in a day is a huge amount of work and your fingers are going to fall off. Mm -hmm. But if you can have a bot do that for you and then only bring you the good, the likely prospects, then you you can really engage. And so to come back to the the story, um, when she, uh, it was really, you know, like I say, it was just like a flip, like a switch flip. And at one point, she got really uh, hesitant about it. She was like, you know, this is weird. You've never asked me to do this before. And um, the the social engineer came back and was like, what the fuck are you questioning me for? I'm a boss. You need to do this. Yeah. And, you know, I need this done now. And she's and she was telling me in the interview that that this is something that struck her as very bizarre, but... Again, as I mentioned in the talk, sometimes believing is seen, right? So she had that expectation already in place that this was her boss. And so then she justified it. And this is just like the romance scam type of uh, scams as well. Is Once you have that investment in place, then it's almost like they start working backwards. And um, yeah, so anyway... Uh, so I was doing this line of research with the gift card scams and looking at some of the romance scams, the dynamics of them, and um, and then at that time, this student approached me about the, the deepfakes, and that's where I sort of sort of started putting all this together and came up with the idea for the framework because it's like you know this is this is not just about deepfakes, and I think that all of this is sort of tying in together, right? And um, so sort to of come back to catfishing, one of the biggest um, threats to catfishers Mm. is that sometimes the, the target, the victim will become suspicious Mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, we've never chatted on video or, you know, I've never seen video of you. I've only seen still frames.
1: Mm -hmm. How do I know you
2: really, who you are? And it's interesting to see how they'll dance around that. Most of them have some sort of, you know, routine Mm -hmm. that they'll go through, but you can tell it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's a, um, Critical point for them. Um, is it illegal? Well, yeah, absolutely. If okay. their if, if their intent is to commit fraud, then okay. that becomes um, you know wire fraud. So so it's, it's a federal offense. Okay, so it, it's illegal
0: once there's a transfer of funds. No,
2: I, I, well, okay. I, I need to be careful about that, but I believe that the intent to commit fraud. Can, is a crime it, yeah it, it is Okay. independent of whether or not the act is actually uh, carried out now this is again I'm not a, an attorney so I don't want to I want to be careful in how I yeah. parse that but I believe that the intent to commit fraud is also a crime oh conspiracy is a very real charge
1: oh yeah absolutely yes. yeah so, 100% yeah was there ever a time where you found yourself believing what you were seeing and it was actually a ruse Hmm. I wouldn't think so, but I just figured I'd ask.
2: Yeah, in a weird way, uh, yes. Um, There was a time I I was investigating a cybercrime, and I was like one hundred percent convinced it was this one person, Mm. and I spent a long, long time collecting evidence, Mm. and it all sort of it all made sense in the context of this person was guilty. But in the end, it turned out that they were not guilty. Unfortunately, it didn't get to the point of charging them with anything. I, um, this was when I was new and uh, not a very experienced investigator. And I, um, I spent a lot of time sort of collecting the background uh, evidence and then decided to interview this person. Which, I guess, in retrospect, it worked out well with that that's how it worked, because I was able to validate a lot of what they were telling me in the interview was actually consistent with what I found, but um, very quickly into the interview, figured out that it wasn't him, it was actually an associate, and it looked like him, and so uh, we were able to take that in the right direction, but to your point, yeah, that was a very strange feeling. Because
0: um, you're on the other side yeah. Yeah. of oh, oh actually be becoming a victim
2: of that or seeing how, how right. easily it could happen to right, someone. Right. And it was terrifying for me because yeah. I thought, man, I almost yeah. lost somebody's life because I was convinced of something and I should not, I, I you know, it, it was a good lesson for me to learn early on because after that, I kept a much open mind when I was doing an investigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, I feel like that would make me very uh, wary of anything. Yeah. Even if it was the truth, yeah. always second guessing, always questioning. Yeah. Well, it's important because
2: well, what is it Richard Feynman said? We're uh, it's always the, you're always the easiest person to fool or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, know, I, like, yeah. Right. I, it's it been too that. long of a day for me <laughs> <laughs> to remember the quote, but yes, yeah, so look it up, Richard Feynman, and I know it's just something about fooling yourself. So yes. So Matt, I want to talk about the tech for a moment, and you talked about
0: this a bit in your talk. When you look at GPT-3 and the emergence of GPT-4 and the amount of computing power that it takes to process training data and refine that, is that the reason that you don't see defake attacks more in cybersecurity right now?
2: I think, yeah, I think it's just a matter of the technology and accessibility. I think once that becomes
1: more available, we're going to see. In fact, I think that's why
2: uh, the FBI released that uh, private industry notification in March is because they're expecting to see this. Um, so on the deep web, you know you have you know,
0: um, DDoS as a service. You have these as-service attacks, right? So I'm thinking of maybe deepfakes as a service where someone maybe has invested in the technology and the resources, and now if I want to carry out an attack on Ken, you know, I can just hire this person for X number of dollars and, and have him do the work for me. Have you
2: seen that yet? Um, okay, so I have not seen exactly what you just described, but what I have seen for sale uh, on the dark web is um, how to guides, okay, and also some software platforms that people could you know use themselves. Um, yeah, almost like a, a metasploit type of kid. Interesting. For producing one's own deep fakes. And I I don't know because I don't know the details of the case, but I I am curious if the woman in Pennsylvania who created or was accused of creating the deepfakes of the cheerleaders if that might have been something that she used. I don't know. Yeah. But um
0: Which is very close to home too.
2: Yeah. That's not far from me. And that was a
0: that was on the local news when that happened. Really? Yeah. And, and, and I had the same thought to where, you know, she may not be technically inclined to create these. So did someone create them for her? Is she using a service that's commercially available? I I mean, there's nothing out there that you can buy off the shelf right now that will, you know, get fed data and
2: will spit out a deep that I know of, I've not read the indictment. I would love to. Yeah, I really, I, I need to take some time actually and sit down and read the indictment and mm-hmm. see uh, exactly what they say. Because um, yeah, for for her, to, for them to charge her, I wouldn't be surprised if they
1: seized some of the equipment and maybe mm-hmm. um, you know did some examination. Yeah, so history, so, court connections something like that. Yeah,
0: now I know voice synthesis or voice defakes are. I'd imagine more cost effective for attackers to be able to create in terms of not having the video. I assume it's less processing power for something like that to happen. Do you see anything out there right now that is legitimate in terms of either open source tools or commercial tools, or you can create these type of voice Um, defects?
2: um, So this is where I wish my graduate was here. (laughs) She's (laughs) she's the one that's looking into that. Okay. And there was a gentleman who I spoke to after the talk who said that he may have a recommendation for us for a platform because we would like to actually have a platform like what you're describing so that we can use it in our own research. Um, We were going to use uh, Wirebird, and then they were acquired, I can't remember who they were acquired by, but they were acquired by someone else. And um, yeah, however, uh, as I mentioned in my talk, humans are really wired to interpret facial ins- expressions. I mean, there's so much, you know, neural computing power that's dedicated just to that, that uh, I think that's going to be a real challenge for deep fakes. I, I think eventually the technology will overcome that, but it's, it's still a few years away, yeah. you know? Well, audio, on the other hand, is one-dimensional, and especially if you're talking, let's say, older people, that their hearing isn't as good. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you have a lot of latitude there. And um, plus, the other thing to keep in mind is that these attacks usually come out of nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. somebody's in the middle of their job. They're busy. They're doing things. And then all of a sudden, they get this call to do something. and They don't see it coming. They're not prepared for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, um, we didn't really talk about this in the talk, but I think uh, we need to you – know, So a little pet peeve of mine is that security awareness is treated as a checkbox issue by so many companies. You know, we did security awareness, the box has been checked, we're done, we're good for a year. And it's frustrating as an employee to have to go through the same damn training year after year. I've literally done that for six years in a row where it's the exact same training, no update, Mm -hmm. and all you know all it is is somebody to check a compliance box. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that's so bad is that things change, right? So business email compromise. What do you think of when you think of business email compromise? You're thinking about wiring funds to an account, right? To an uh, unauthorized account. However, we were talking... So this is not university we, this is my company we... Um, we're talking to a company that actually had a well we haven't figured out who it is but we suspect it's a former employee impersonated an executive again with email and fired an entire section of the company so, so they, this is pre-COVID and you know the, the boss comes in and notice no one's there one day
1: that's weird the next day, wow, that's really weird. No confirmation, no, no. double check. Just yeah. I read it and I perceived it. Yeah, that's that's burning bridges to a new level. Oh, yeah, right. So then by day three, they're like, So this is they
2: start calling people. Yeah, and they're like, What are you talking about? You fired us. Yeah, and like, No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't do, I did no such thing. And so this, but they were able to trace it back <laughs> to that employee that left. Well, it, no, there's somebody that, that we suspect, okay. but we don't have enough evidence to actually say, you know, it was the, it's mostly that the timing of when they were terminated and when this happens will strongly suggests that it may be a particular person. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, but to bring it back to the awareness training, I've never seen that in any sort of awareness training. Like, yeah, you're you know, right. It's, it's, it's something like you know a scammer is going to act ask, ask for X, Y, or Z. And an X, Y, or Z usually has something to do with money. But the exploits... So the exploit in that case is to steal funds, right? But the exploit could be any kind of payload that the social engineer wants. And, yeah. if, and if the payload, if their goal is revenge, which yeah. it seems like in this case it was... That payload can be as creative as that social engineer. So it's the human exploit. Exactly, exactly, and this is not something I see talked about in any kind of security awareness. I'll give you a, a, another variation: um, catfishing, typically associated with uh, romance scams. Uh, I think it was No Before had a blog on this. It was really fascinating. Um, basically. I don't know if they ever confirmed if it was actually two individuals or it was one individual uh, impersonating two. But um, and this is also sometimes referred to as crab fishing when you're using two accounts to attack one person. But anyway, they were convincing this uh, fairly wealthy businessman in. Uh, United States to try to fly down to Colombia to do this uh, deal. And kind of last minute, he got a, a strange sort of feeling about it. And so he started doing some, you know, investigating on his own and contacted the individual that he was supposed to meet through another uh, pathway and contacts this person. And the person says, I have no idea who you are. I I haven't done, you know, I haven't set up any meeting. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so in that particular case, what uh, the suspicion is, is that that was a case of catfishing meant to lure somebody into a kidnapping situation. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what exactly so that sounds like. That's
2: yeah. Okay. So,
0: have you seen anywhere, or do you foresee in the future that DeepFace could become intelligent enough where you could have not only the video data, but also the intellectual data to be able to carry a two-way conversation versus a voice impersonator that may not know the 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 discussion points that may be someone that you could feed in that data to. And is that something that you, as, as the advancement,
2: you know, I on? I, I think, okay, this is purely... Speculation and my opinion. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I think we're definitely heading in that direction, and um, when that happens, that's that's going to be, I think, game changing on a level that we've already seen. Like as far as we've already come, it's going to be that much more because right now, um, so with the example with uh, President Obama and Jordan Peele, you watch Jordan Peele uh, controlling that sin puppet, right? He's, he's doing an impression of President Obama when he's speaking. Um, it's just that you've got that, that skin, that, that digital skin of President Obama overlapping it, right? But you put, well, you put me there and me <laughs> doing an impression... I'm going to be horrible. I'm not an actor. I I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm going to be very limited as to how effective I can be as a deep fake social engineer on someone else. Right. So that social engineer has at at this point still has to be an actor. Yeah. Yeah. You're in politics.
0: And I'm just saying hypothetically, you're in politics. Right. Yeah. And you understand, you know, what Obama's advocating for. And you go in and, and you pitch the opposite. Right. And you can speak to that intelligently and be able to field questions, maybe live questions on air. Like, are are deepfakes able to go live like that now? Right, right. Or or maybe in the future have sort of a live
2: deepfake where the processing is like that. Right, right. And so if we get to the point where the person doesn't need to be an actor, but they can just be feeding lines through like a keyboard or something, I mean, that, that's going to be... That's insane. Yeah. And I mean... Uh, We've been focusing on social engineering, but I think the thing that people really get concerned about with deep fakes is like disinformation, misinformation, information warfare campaigns. At some point, what I see is not only that, but you couple it with um, like some of the conversation we were having earlier about some of the tailored marketing and you know, using background information from social media and so on and so forth to tailor campaigns. Now, all of a sudden, you can have your politician... It's giving individually tailored video messages mm-hmm. to everybody in the audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and so you know because once you once you move to the keyboard right, then you don't even need a human behind that keyboard anymore. You can use a GPT three or GPT. For yeah, and, and that's where you know now you're pulling data. Yeah, right? and you're combining with something like Cambridge Analytica, and you're going, okay, well, we know that this psychogra- uh, psychographic subgroup responds best to messaging—not this messaging, but messaging tone in this way. So the example I love is uh, Alexander Nix, the um, former CEO of Cambridge Analytica talks about uh, the issue of gun control and said, well, okay, we know that people who are high, okay, so in personality, there is the uh, five-factor model of personality, which is uh, openness, conscientiousness, uh, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And everybody has some, they score somewhere on each of those dimensions, right? But You can score high, you can score low. So, uh, psychographic. what they were finding was that psychographic subgroups who scored high in conscientiousness responded more to traditional things. So, okay, so you already have a group that's opposed to gun control. You know that. So you know that issue is good. But they, what they would do is they would use images and messaging around tradition. So they would show a picture. They, he shows a picture where it's like the sun is setting. And it's a father and son hunting. And it's like, through the generations, you know, this has been our tradition, blah, 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 blah. So it's a gun control messaging, but it's, it's meant to resonate with that psychographic subset. Now, people who are higher on the dimension of neuroticism are con- concerned about their personal safety. So you take that, that broad theme of um, gun rights, but you tamer it towards self-defense for that group. And now it resonates. And so I know it's a little off the topic of deep face, but I think bringing it full circle, I mean, now we're getting to a point where you can individually tailor not not just the message itself, but how the message is presented to resonate with people based on their personalities.
1: Uh, one, one last point. So in a past life, I worked in uh, the trading world uh, for proprietary trading shops and You know, they're all about finding edge in the market and the things they do behind closed doors are fairly um, uh, unprofessional, I guess you could say. But being involved in that world for a while, you know, I started to get involved in trading myself and trying to figure out different ways to compete against the market. And you brought up something that kind of fascinated me. I came up with an idea at the time to build a media machine that would just take every lifeblood of any outlet, whatever it may be that was related really to finance, to companies, to CEO names, whatever, and basically interpret the news so that we can make trading decisions. And you said not only has is this now a real thing, but it's being exploited. Yeah. Um so there are already companies out there that, that, that take a Twitter, you know, everything coming in Twitter that makes trading decisions.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so this is outside
2: my area of expertise a bit. However, um, I, I went to a talk one time and, uh, it was under Chatham house rules. So I can't really attribute the source, but, um, the speaker, uh, I apologize, this was like five or six years ago, but uh, the speaker was describing how something like two-thirds or 75% of trading algorithms that were out there were not designed to uh, trade on their own sort of merits, but were designed to fool Other trading algorithms um, into making, uh,
1: taking actions that would advantage, give the advantage to. That's a very, that's actually a very real thing that exists in the high frequency trading world. Right. Um, high frequency traders would attempt to figure out what other shops were doing so that they could trick their own algorithms. That's actually exactly what happened in the night trading fiasco. So night trading is when we had a flash crash, a flash crash. Right. Back in 2000, I believe. 13 or 14, I don't remember the exact year, Um, but it was specifically that, and that's what brought a lot of attention to the high frequency trading industry. Okay, Um, And they still haven't passed any sort of regulation to fix it, but that's something that's actually been around for a long time. Uh, We call it level 2 trading. Um, So level 2 trading is where you're actually able to see the pipeline of what's going on with the bigger market makers, and that's actually a pretty big game if you can figure out what the other guys doing. So the last uh,
2: diven- dimension of my framework is who's the target? Is the target human? Is the target automation? And and that's exactly what inspired that. Is I was thinking about how um, you know we're so focused on the effect of deep fakes on humans, but uh, like that AP Twitter tweet. Uh, that, I don't know if that was meant to affect humans or if that was effect, meant to affect these algorithms, but it
1: had an effect on the algorithms regardless. It's a big problem, though. You know, uh, stock traded, GameStop, yeah. AMC. Um, there's actually a, a very recent pump and dump that happened with um, Reddit and Clover Medical, or Clover Health, I think it's called. The stock went from $5 to $28 overnight, and then back down to $7 within a day or two yeah
2: um I think uh, broadly speaking um, so people talk about fifth dim- fifth dimensional warfare right or, or not fifth dimensional uh, fifth uh, generation of warfare and uh, you see how war sort of progresses through history and it it takes on the characteristics of the technology at that time right so uh, in the time of uh, tribalism, war was carried out essentially with hunting tools applied to other humans right mm-hmm. and we live in this uh, universe now of the information I know it's cliche but the information age and I think this has really been brought about by COVID in a lot of ways too because now I mean within a year you've seen this huge shift to online living mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I don't know what that's going to mean but uh, number one I think that attacks are they're going to come in ways that we're not expecting they're going to have effects that we're not expecting mm-hmm. but the other thing is, is it flattens a lot of this because it used to be well think about nuclear war you, the idea of nuclear terrorism is somewhat ridiculous because it is so the technology for how to create a nuclear weapon is not that complicated, but the engineering is. I mean, you almost need a nation state to be able to pull off that engineering. Um, cyber attacks, not not so much. <laughs> you can and when you're talking about deepfake social engineering, even
1: easier. And so I can see I can see a competitive bank putting out a deepfake of the CEO of their yeah. Yeah. other other bank j- just to pick up a cheap stock you yeah. because yeah. Yeah. Like, it crash overnight I you know I have not done this
2: and I'd love to see if someone else has but I would love to see uh, a record of um, shorts like shortings yep. and track them along a the timeline with like cyber attacks and see if there's any Correspondence sure. with that one. <laughs> um, yeah. That, I mean, that doesn't exist. Well, I, I don't know of anyone who's done it. I've thought no. about going it. It's something I'd love to do, but I mean okay, it's purely hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no oh, inside yeah. knowledge on this, but <laughs> I'm just saying if I were a hacker group that was say going to launch ransomware on Colonial Pipeline, I knew I was gonna do it, and I knew I was gonna execute on a certain day. Why wouldn't I short that stock? a few days beforehand and then yeah when you talk about
0: attack scenarios with deepfakes it's always in in, um, a negative light or let me rephrase that so when you talk about deepfakes and security it's always from a negative angle where it's coming from a cyber attack perspective right do you know outside of pure entertainment purposes a good use for deepfakes
2: yeah. Uh well, let me think about that. But I want to address the first question or first part of the question of um I, I want to bring it back to the security side because okay. Um, okay, so I I have to be careful with this myself. Sometimes I just revel in doom
1: and gloom, right? Um, I mean, we all do it. That's that's what we do. What's the mean deep down? In- Everyone, deep down in their hearts, are waiting for the end of the world. Yes, right. right. It's, it's, it's just a fact.
2: Yeah. Um, it's not
0: doom mongering. It's no, it's just waiting for the the inevitable. I think it's, <laughs> art, it's not human. No, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's when you see when you read the headlines when you look at cybersecurity talks. It's always, you know, be careful of deepfakes. This is how easy it is. This is how you can be attacked. But then when you look at Hollywood, you look at the Irishman, you look at, you know, other movies that are putting out, you know, deepfake type technology that's for entertainment. You know, Ken and I were talking about this. Can you can, can you come up with a good use that's going to help society by having deepfake technology?
2: Well, and so I, that's where I wanted to come back to is that um, in security, I think, we have a natural inclination to think about how things break.
1: Mm. But
2: there's there's sort of the positive side of that, or the, as I mentioned, the counter-offensive side of that too, and I'll, I'll get to your other question in just a second, but I do want to say that we should be using, we being the security community, should be using the deep fake technology to, to social engineer to social engineers. Mm. I mean, you know, I look at that Jolly Roger bot, I
1: um, oh,
2: I forgot to ask the audience. I wanted, to, if anybody out there knows, if anybody listening to this knows the guy who invented the Jolly Roger bot and, and runs that, I, I would love to meet this person and talk with them. Anyway, well, here you got the you got the podcast. Uh, yeah, I have so podcast. anyone listening, <laughs> let me know. Yeah. Um, so this okay. So this is a voice bot that is meant to respond to uh, voice. Um, like the sounds, I guess. And so, what happens is, is uh, you you install it as an app on your phone. You get a, a spam caller. You hit the button. It trans transfers that spam caller to this voice bot. The caller talks to and interacts with this voice bot. The voices that are used are actually, as I understand it, pre recorded from actors, so they they sound legit. Okay. But it, um, I think I. I might have this wrong. I think at least in the first iteration, it was completely just random. So it had a, a random sampling of like fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go on. on. It's great. <laughs> no, so like at one point, the voice bot, like the the guy is trying to sell the voice bot something, and the and the voice bot says something like, uh, "Oh no, no, wait, wait, just a second, uh, No, hold on, hold on. Yeah, there, there's a bee on my knee. I'm not really sure what to do. I don't want to move. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> and the guy who's calling is just like floored. I mean, at some point, the guy just launches into like a rage of profanity at this voice bot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Those have to be on YouTube. Oh, no, totally. Yeah, look at Jolly Roger voice bot on YouTube and, and hours and hours of entertainment. And and there's different voices. So there's like, a, I think it started out with like a friend of his. So it's just a kind of a middle aged male. And then there's, a, then there's a female voice. There's an older guy. and The older guy can't hear so well. So he asks him to repeat a lot. But my point is, is that that in itself is sort of like a counter hack, right? Yeah. So
1: yeah, um,
2: you know these uh, telemarketers or the spam calling is essentially you know the voice equivalent to spam email, and what this Jolly Roger bot does is it consumes their resources because it takes them a while to realize that they're not engaging with a person. Now the later, so it's interesting because you look at the the audio clips from say five years ago mm-hmm. and the people have no idea now. Uh, they're getting a lot more savvy. They're saying, hey, something's weird here. And then you'll hear a supervisor cut in and they're like, oh yeah, this is a voice bot. And and, and one uh, clip, it was great. They said, yeah, blacklist number. So I think a positive use is using this deep fake technology against the people who are perpetrating these things. So that's the first point I'd make. The second point though, uh, positive uses outside of entertainment. Um, boy, I don't know. Practical jokes. But that's entertaining. It's entertaining. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so Ken made a good point. So, we, we started into the discussion of sort of deep faking lost one, like lost loved ones.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a business on this. Have you seen this? No. Nah. Okay, I'm sorry. It just Hold on. We're not out. stuck in Black Mirror right now because there is an Almost. episode. Is that real? It's, it's, it's close. I cannot remember the name of the company. Now, I'm gonna, this is going to haunt me. I'll, I'll find the, the name of the company doing this, but you take a look and see if you can find them also. Okay. They take um, okay. existing media of loved ones and they are creating uh, fully interactive avatars of them.
1: It's exactly wow. what was in that episode.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's not incarnate. It's you know through silica. But, yeah. And then there's the other. Um, is it the Holocaust Project? I I can't remember the name, but they they're taking accounts of Holocaust survivors, and it's but it's a similar sort of thing in that they're they're taking the image and they're taking voice samples but they're creating interactive Okay. So, so education things. could be yes. certainly a benefit. Yeah. Oh, so when I was a kid, I went to Disneyland and I saw the animatronic, uh, Abe Lincoln and George Washington, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously those are a little limited, but, um,
1: oh, and it gets weirder than that. Um, I, I wish I could
2: remember this woman's name. There's a woman out of uh, one of the universities in Pennsylvania. Is it UPenn or it might be, it's not CMU, it could be Temple. Temple. It's, it's, it's a university in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. Long day today. Um, and I can get you, I can get you the resource on this. Okay. Uh, she, her preliminary research is that she's basically doing kind of almost the reverse of a deep fake in that she's able to take voices and do reconstructions of the face mm-hmm. to, to understand what somebody looks like based on their voice. And um, when she explains it, it makes sense because Your voice sounds the way that it does because of the way that you are constructed, the way that your head, your your, um, nasal passages, your throat, all these these things contribute to how your voice ends up being. And um, so from that, you can reverse engineer and create a reconstruction, a three-dimensional
1: reconstruction of a person's face. It gets even better. Like I would love to do that against the people who call me about my car's warranty. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I know who you are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and so, you know, like right now, we're making, um, you know, the recording in a room with carpet and, you know, walls and stuff. She can actually reproduce to some extent the, the environment that it's created in. And so I don't know what degree of accuracy she has, but I know that it's, it's substantially better than the chance. And um, yeah, so. Um, Back to the animatronic uh, George Washington Abe Lincoln she's saying that it may be possible to flip that and to take old photographs and maybe anticipate or, or sort of guess um, what those people actually sound like because think about this, nobody knows what Abraham Lincoln sounded like right, I mean I, I have a certain voice in my mind from movies that I've seen, that's all made up that is somebody saying I think he sounded like this, and they, you know,
1: no one has any clue.
2: Um, but it may be possible at some point, given enough, you know, reconstructions to do something like that. Yeah. Um, that's
1: incredible. Wow. So, um,
0: yeah, thanks for your time and, and speaking with us. You know, I really enjoy your talk. Where can our listeners that are listening to this podcast Find you online. I'll get a link up for the talk that you did at Black Hat. But, you know, how can our listeners reach out to you, find out what you're up to?
2: Well, so probably the best way is at our website, Belay7, that's B E L A why the number 7.com it's contraction for beyond layer 7 and uh, the white paper that goes along with our talk or with my talk is going to be on the line uh, and uh, I think we're going to be posting some other material up there nice. so, so yeah I hear
0: last call here at the bar so do you have time for one more? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar what would the name be and what was your signature drink be called?
2: And when I say tax security, this, 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 this. Okay, so this, this might be too cheesy. The
1: sidebar? Sidebar. That's <laughs> pretty clever. Oh, <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> I never heard that oh, one bad. Nobody yeah. said Are that. Are you really good at this?
2: You know, okay, so I have this incredibly weird talent for acronyms. <laughs> I, I, I think it's from spending eight years in government, but like <laughs> every time that a project requires an acronym, I'm like the person who ends up doing it. You're on it. Yeah, that's, that's cool. why I was so uh, upset when uh, Black Hat was like, "No, you can't have smart attacks as being the um, know, the name for the synthetic media attacks." So oh. I was like, "Yeah, synthetic media, of, you know, acquired uh, requisite trust." And uh, they're like, no, Smart Attacks are something else. So they can't be that. So now i got to come up with a new new name. But, uh, yeah, so anyway. All
0: right, so the sidebar, and then what would your signature drink be? I don't know,
2: man. I have to think about the drink. I, I usually don't get past beers you know. myself, so I, <laughs> I have to come up with some sort of, uh, you know. Uh, it could be beer. So what if you have
0: a
1: deep-fake beer where it looks and it tastes like beer, but it's like a low-carb uh, Zero car. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I do with that is give somebody like a ketchup or something. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, look look like a beer from your glass that tastes <laughs> like Or non alcoholic. Okay. No, no, you
0: want
2: no, no. That's just oh, That's just bad, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. Well have you had the the beer that's uh aged in uh whiskey barrels? it, and it tastes. Pretty good? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's sort of like a deep fake beer. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Matt, thanks so much for for joining us today. We appreciate
0: it. Go get a drink, get some rest, and safe travels getting home.
2: Likewise. Thank you very much.
0: Barco Patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreoncom podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the slash sponsor Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time.
1: We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.